Hi, this is Penny Young Nance, CEO and President of Concerned Women for America. We have a very special episode of Concerned Women Today's podcast, and I just wanted to give everyone just a moment to recognize that this is a very sensitive topic. We worked very hard to make sure that we gave it the respect it deserves, but it was all brought to a head for us this week when we recognized that 30-year-old Chesley Chris died by suicide on January 30th. She was an American television correspondent, a model, beauty pageant title holder who was crowned Miss USA 2019. I think all of the issues that we discuss on today's topic on body positivity is something that is so deep and can be so hurtful. Um, and I just wanted to take a moment and recognize that this is a very sensitive topic and give a special warning before you listen today. Strong women, smart policy, solid theology, and no apology. This is Concerned Women Today with Penny Young Nance, CEO and President of Concerned Women for America, the largest public policy organization for women in the nation. Here's your host, Penny Nance. Welcome to Concerned Women Today, and joining me today is Dr. Shyla Valentine, and she is a cardiologist from Dallas, Texas with Cardiology Consultants. Um, she joined the practice in 1998, and her primary focus is heart disease in women and non-invasive testing, which that sounds awesome. I, I think, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Dr. Valentine, isn't heart disease the number one killer of women? Like, what is the top disease that impacts us? Even in 2021, women are surprised across the board to learn that heart disease is the number one killer. As a matter of fact, heart disease claims more lives than all forms of cancer combined. And people, women tend to feel like it's breast cancer or mm -hmm. lung cancer, but heart disease is uh, enemy number one when it comes to women. Wow. I don't think that's a well-known fact at all. And so I'm really appreciative of you being here. Your experience is really important, especially as a women's organization. We're doing a discussion today with some younger women, some millennials about the whole body positivity movement. And I come as a refugee <laughs> almost from uh, another time in which uh, uh, the pendulum was in a completely different place. And it was in the early 90s, there was this whole movement and it was sort of typified by the model Kate Moss. And some of you are old enough to remember, will remember the Calvin Klein ads of session commercials. And these were very, very underfed women. And they had this like starvation, uh, drug addict look that the fashion industry dubbed heroin chic. And it was really presumed to be the ideal woman, extremely emaciated look was considered the ideal for women at that time. And so I believe what happened was this horribly unhealthy, unattainable ideal was appropriately bought by women, by consumers, even the fashion industry eventually came around at some level. Now we just have men who have zero body fat pretending to be women, frankly. Um, and that that's that's real. And I think that's a way to get around some of the rules and some of the regulations that are set up within the fashion industry. But that's a, that's another podcast. But I but the pendulum now has swung into the point where body positivity means anything. And it means even the embracing of obesity, even morbid obesity, you, you know, you're never allowed to discuss it. And how dare you as women, you're sort of a betrayer if you suggest that it's unhealthy for women. So I'd love for you to talk about really those two extremes. And where should we try to land? Well, you're certainly framing the complexity of this. Uh, well, yes, uh, I remember Karen Carpenter, and she tragically died of actually a heart related condition, right. secondary to her eating disorder. And that just, you know, put us all into shock. And then the body positivity started movement in 1996. And we, we walk a tightrope. We want women to accept their body. We want women to find their self-esteem in other things and not how they look. And part of that comes from internal self-esteem. And quite frankly, part of it comes from social media and Hollywood and print media. But the thing that I 
hasten to add when I think about the fat acceptance, the body positivity is that obesity is a huge health problem. It is one of the risk factors for heart disease. And it's, it's just alarming that one out of three women are considered obese, meaning their BMI is greater than 30. Well, not only is it a risk factor for heart disease, but also it contributes to high blood pressure, early adult onset diabetes, high cholesterol. And I am just seeing an alarming uh, impact of obesity on, on health. And it also affects your risk of gallbladder disease and osteoarthritis. And it's a challenge that's not getting better. And I'm, I'm concerned about it as I know you are too. Yeah, and it appears to be getting worse. Um, a few years ago, before I came back to CWA, I was working part-time as an advisor uh, to the chairman of the Federal Communications Commission. And one of the things that happened while I was there is they had this project in which they looked at childhood obesity. And I learned a lot from that, mainly that children that are obese usually are obese adults, like after like the age of four. And then the, then the, of course, when you're young, your body can handle the stress of carrying around the extra weight and your heart and all that. But as you get older, your health starts to deteriorate and there has, it's huge impact on public health. And it's it certainly has socioeconomic underpinnings. And uh, especially when you're talking about kids, then you had Michelle Obama, who I think appropriately tried to address the issue, but then, you know, somehow it got caught up in, in, in stop. She didn't say eat an apple. She said, eat an organic apple. Well, organic apples cost a lot. <laughs> she had a market over kind of near our office and my staff would go over there and be like, we can't afford that. Like that is what they're selling over there is so expensive. So again, like government doesn't seem to be able to get its legs underneath this. The public health community doesn't seem to be getting their legs underneath this. And, I, and let me also say, I'd love for you to comment on that, but also how disappointing it is that during the whole COVID lockdowns and, you know, while the nation is really focused on health, why did Anthony Fauci and the public health community not bring up this issue? Because we know that, you know, there's a connection to wellness, even, you know, even your immune system, if your body isn't at a healthy weight, one way or the other, whether you're underweight or overweight, right? Well, I, you brought up some very salient points. I, it's disturbing to go to an emergency room or go to an ICU to see people in critical care from COVID because they're nearly all overweight and obese. And we, it, it just seems to be something we don't want to talk about. And maybe it's sensitive to talk about somebody's weight. But once again, that just underpins the, the worrisome aspects of being overweight. And you brought up socioeconomic, um, obesity contributes to a lot of healthcare dollars. 27% of physician visits are in women or men that are overweight or obese. 46% of inpatient costs is related to obesity. 80% uh, of prescription costs are related to obesity. And so I, I try to balance the sensitivity of body image with health. And I wanna also add that health begins at home. That's right. Health care begins at the plate. It begins at the, on the treadmill, walking with friends. It begins at home. And that's my focus is trying to enable and encourage people to be healthy. And a lot of times people don't realize that it just requires about five, 10% weight loss to achieve a good 10 to 12 millimeters of mercury drop in your blood pressure. So you can have a huge impact from a health perspective with not a lot of weight loss. Wow. Let me back up and say, you know, I, I'm so grateful because again, you know, I went to college at a time when anorexia and bulimia were out of control, were raging among young high school and college students. And this is even in, in Christian school. I mean, you could walk into a dorm floor in a women's dorm on a Christian university campuses and smell the vomit. I mean, just, I'm sorry to be graphic, but that's the reality. So of course, you know, we people who come from that era, like we have such sensitivity and thankfully, you know, we kind of, I came out the other side of it because I had smart people speaking to my life saying, you know what? you have a daughter now, make sure you don't look in the mirror and criticize your body in front of her. Do not talk about weight, talk about health. 
And hopefully I did that overall. I mean, I don't know that I did it perfectly, but I really did try to you know, make sure my children ate well, make sure my kids played sports. Sometimes we overdo that as well, by the way. Um, and I embraced exercise uh, in my like mid to late 20s. And so it really had, has had this lifelong implications of my ability to, you know, exercise and to do things and mobility and, and, you know, and I have arthritis, but I'm able to keep moving because I've not stopped moving. Um, so there's that piece of it. But the other piece of it that I'd love for you to just mention also, and just kind of tell us, what would you say, what do you say to Christian women that are coming in to you to talk about their heart health on both spectrums? The woman who is you perhaps, I mean, maybe we still see anorexia. I don't know. Maybe that's gone now. I guess you could tell me that or the woman that is on the other side of the spectrum that is not taking care of body. Because again, as believers, you know, we believe that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so that's easily said, but frankly, you know, not always done well. And we all struggle with it. Well, and from a personal note, I remember I came home after my freshman year in college and went to the doctor. And the first thing I heard was, well, I see you've gained the freshman 10. Yep. And, and those seven words really almost tipped me over to a full-blown eating disorder and so I, I've, I've tiptoed in those shoes and it is, it is a real fragile psyche, especially in, in college. And I also want to add that the impact of an eating disorder early on can have lasting effects. I've got a friend who had an eating disorder in college and 26 years later, she still suffers from a delayed gastric emptying. And so, as you know, our choices early on tend to have impact uh, later in our life. When I walk into the office of a patient, whether they're thin, ideal body weight or overweight or obese, I really try to focus on the entire person. And I try to tell them, you don't have to love everything about your body. Let's just work on the things that you can work on to put yourself in a healthy way, a healthy path so that you can live the life that God has for you to live. And, and if we focus on a day-to-day -day approach and not try to climb the mountain in one step, it seems to be more palatable. It seems to be a goal that women can achieve. And I, I try to meet women where they are and just come up with a plan of health and go from there. That is so good. And you want your doctor to be a safe space, right? Like a place where, you know, you're getting the hard truth. It's not judgmental. It's not, you know, mean. And I, your doctor did the same thing that, you know, my doctor did. And also I will say, I had an older doctor who was my OB doctor when I was pregnant with my daughter. And, um, I got a talking to for eight pounds and I was, you know, again, I was a very thin mom. I gained eight pounds in one month and boy, did I get a talking to. And that was, and the younger doctor saw me then the next month. He's like, Oh, I bet you heard it from, you know, Dr. So-and-so I'm like, yeah, I did. And he's like, you know what? Ignore that, that you're healthy. It's fine. And so thankfully we, we changed in that, but and the health community changed in that, but I wish, I wish I lived in the same town with you, Dr. Valentine. Now I, I would want you to be my doctor for sure. You um, give such substantive and, and, um, and I know you believe and live out an ethic of life at all levels. So I'm just grateful for your impact on women and, and we're trying to help you get the message out about heart health. Well, that's great. And I encourage uh, you and your listeners to seek help when they need to and adopt a healthy lifestyle. And I just appreciate being involved today. Well, I appreciate that too. And, and you break up before you go, let me just say you, you bring up an important point and that is there's also, you know, mental health parts of this. And so your point of seeking help where you need it is absolutely necessary and, and it just makes good sense. So thank you for your hard work and we just appreciate you and, um, can't wait to see you next time I'm in Dallas. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We have just come from interviewing Dr. Shyla Valentine, who's a cardiologist out of Dallas, talking about the whole idea of heart health. You know, I was found it very interesting to learn that heart disease is the number one killer of women. It's more deadly than all cancers combined for women. And so it is with that sort of underpinning that I wanted to bring in two very smart millennial women and talk about the body positivity movement. Of course, we are coming out of the holidays. So I think it's something that we all kind of think about a little bit, even no matter what size you are, right? 
And so I want to first interview Annabelle Rutledge, who is our National Director for Young Women for America, and Carrie Sheffield, who's with Independent Women's Forum. Carrie, this is your first time being on, and I think you're going to do maybe even some guest hosting. Uh, we've decided we're going to like throw this open, and, and Annabelle has done some guest hosting already. She did one on uh, Israel. So we will, we're going to, in the new year, actually bring some more voices to Concerned Women today, and uh, hard, hopefully a broader range of topics, actually, as we bring in experts. So first, um, I just wanted to kind of set up the stage. So here we are. I, I opened up a box of Whitney's cookies today at CWA. Here we are. Which are so good. So good. She's out of Franklin, <laughs> Tennessee, MasterChef winner and, uh, and, and believer. Food is such an important part of the lives of Americans. American women, and men and women cook, but I think uh, women tend to be more about that, tends to be more considered a feminine role. Although my husband cooks, let me just say, I gave it up. <laughs> After my kids left home, I'm like, I'm done. I'm over it. And he actually likes it. So I clean up, he cooks. I am, let me just first say that I am a refugee from the 90s. Like I was uh, in college in a time and even uh, very late 80s, about uh, the time where anorexia and bulimia was just very widespread in the culture. And Christian universities were not immune. And it was, you know, it was a time in which Kate Moss and at what they called heroin chic fashion industry was all about this. And since that time, the fashion industry put some parameters up about your percentage of body fat, which frankly is why I think they like using milk models to portray women's clothing because their body fat is naturally smaller than ours and the rules are different for them. But what we've also seen, and, and let me also remind you all that um, older people know the singer Karen Carpenter. She died from anorexia because her heart failed. And during that time, there were other people. There, was, there were these sort of celebrity cautionary tales of people who were who died. And people my age know women that were very, very, very sick from it. So I think you saw this, I think, the pendulum swing. And often when you do that, public opinion goes too far. And now we're at a point where you, I think you still have underfed women, you still have anorexia, but it seems like it's a much smaller number. You have the body positivity movement, who, who I would contend actually started out correctly, trying to sort of encourage women to love their bodies and to recognize that God made you a certain way. Women's bodies naturally have more body fat than men. Maternal, a maternal layer fat, a layer, a maternal layer of fat naturally comes on your body when you, when you're pregnant. It's hard to lose that. <laughs> it, let me just say, it's really hard. I literally ran a marathon between children to try to, you know, help get back in shape. It's really hard. And, you know, there's a lot of angst around that. But now we're at this point where you see sort of this common thread through culture that it doesn't matter what size you are. And you have celebrities that have taken on that mantra. And you even saw where just recently the singer Adele, she's like a what, 15 time Grammy winner, lost, I think like a hundred pounds and was criticized for that. She clearly was win. not healthy. So I would love to start, Carrie, let me start out with you. And I just love to kind of get your feelings as, you know, a, a millennial woman, like what, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What do you think our listeners should know? Yeah. So, so I live here in Washington now, but I used to live up in New York and I used to work or I was a contractor with a women's media company called bustle mm -hmm. bustle.com. And if you don't know bustle, they reach, you know, tens of millions of uh, mostly young women across America every month. And considered left of, of center, right? They're, they're certainly very, very left leaning, mm -hmm. but they, um, and advertisers flocked accordingly. They were kind of the thought leaders in this body positivity space. And so I remember when I first started to work with them, I liked this conceptually, but I just, I always worry about unintended consequences. Um, and as you said about a pendulum, I think you're spot on um, that the, the bigger, uh, you know, literally bigger issue in terms of proportion of people who are obese, we have about two thirds of Americans who are obese right now. Mm -hmm. um, and statistically, the, uh, you know, within the last 20 years, the average person in America has gained 15 pounds without gaining any height. So wait, um, let me just stop you there. So two thirds of Americans yes. are considered obese. Yes. 
and and probably a part of them are morbidly obese, like a yes, smaller number. probably just like maybe it's like about a third. Over of that thirty or so. points over your BMI, that the correct BMI, right? That yeah, the, I that, think that's about yeah. yeah. I'm a, I'll have to pull up the yeah, yeah. exact technical definition yes. I don't have in front of me, but yes, that's, a, um, you know, what's considered your, your BMI, your body mass mm-hmm. index, right. um, which is your, you know, what should be an ideal target for you. Um, and so just the, you know, to have two thirds of people be obese as opposed to, you know, less than, you know, single digits of people who suffer from anorexia mm-hmm. and bulimia. I just think it is, it is a much more common issue to your point on. So I think those numbers disease. were flipped. In the 90s, I think that it was the big number was anorexia. The small number was obesity. And now it's the other way that that I mean, that's I think there are probably lots of reasons for culturally why we've become this way. Uh, I think things like cell phones, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and being addicted mm-hmm. to, to, you know, your TV, your laptop, your devices that people are less active. Um, and there are just so many more entertainment options. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think certainly COVID, you know, they mm-hmm. say like the COVID-10 or the COVID-15 uh, more recently, but I think there are lots of reasons why this, like you said, this, this kind of like positive natural desire to, you know, push back against this incredibly unhealthy, mm-hmm. dangerous, uh, you know, uh, you know, I got to be thin at all costs idea and mentality. We swung so far. Um, and it's not, this is, I just also want to be clear, you know, anything I say is not about your self-worth as a right. woman. This is, you know, we are all infinitely valuable in the eyes of God. Um, This is really about, I I like to think of it as an analogy of you're going to get a mortgage. Mm -hmm. If you're going to get a mortgage, you can walk in there and say, well, I'm a daughter of God. My my value is infinite. Like, give me whatever I want. (laughs) It's a, that's a, that that won't work in this realm. You know, we've got constraints. We live in a broken world. Um, And so it's, it's not about, uh, you know, shaming anyone. Mm -hmm. I think, I think some people think that if, if you have questions about body positivity, you are therefore about body shaming. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we, we certainly don't want to do that. And especially in this age of social media, you do have people bullying, mm-hmm. you know, attacking people, certainly, you know, in high schools. And, you know, it can be terrible for people who are struggling with, with being overweight. So we don't want to veer into that direction either. But at the same time, I'm really worried that uh, if we as a culture are so uh, you know, basically lulling ourselves into thinking mm-hmm. that being obese and overweight, it doesn't matter. That's mm-hmm. a lot of the messaging that I see in marketing campaigns uh, to, to have, you know, just the sense that, that fat doesn't matter, that, that being overweight doesn't matter. You are literally sentencing someone to death if they believe that, because as you said, heart disease is the top killer, not only for women, but also for men. Um, and so I think just educating yourself, and, and this is just common sense, you know, it's, uh, you know, the human race. Like we've, you know, we were an agrarian society, which required mm-hmm. a lot more physical labor. Um, so we didn't have these issues that we mm-hmm. have now. Like we're, we live a sedentary lifestyle. We're an information-based economy. So there are things we have to change yes. accordingly. Yes. There was definitely changes. Um, I, before I go to uh, you, Annabelle, as the leader of Young Women for America, this is Generation Z. I'd love to hear your take on what they're saying, but I wanted just to sort of set the table with a couple of verses. First Timothy 4, 8 says, while Bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So you're, you know, there's value in taking care of your body, but your soul, of course, is essential to be dealt with because that's, that's who you are, right? And then 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So what, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I got to think about that for a second. I mean, you know, what does that mean? If I eat a whole cheesecake in one sitting, no, that probably isn't to the glory of God. It's really not, you know, but at the same time, I had this argument with someone one time about the difference between overeating and over drinking. Like nobody ever killed anybody in their car after eating a cheesecake, right? So that's not exactly the same, but there's, I mean, there's questions, right? I have Mm -hmm. questions. And then first Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. I, that one to me is the most damning. And frankly, that is the thing that snatched me back from the edge. Mm-hmm. When I was in college, I, you know, I, I don't even know how to say it. I sort of dabbled in that sort of world. And like, because again, you, know, you gain the freshman 10 and your doctors are not really at that time. They're not as thoughtful about how they deal with the issue and, you know, and I didn't like it. And so like, you know, there was a lot around me. And again, Kate Moss was the, was the idol, 
of how you're supposed to look. I mean, now allowed you're allowed to have back, right? <laughs> Baby's allowed to have back. Like I would have been horrified if somebody had said that about me back then. And now like it's a whole different world of how you even view what's beautiful, which again, I think is much more healthy. I mean, I think if anything, I kind of come down on sort of the side of we went way too far, but there is I think significant value in recognizing that the feminine form has curves and it is natural and that's God how God made us, but we also need to be healthy. But what what are you hearing when you, I mean, we've got over a hundred YWA leaders around the country and chapters. Tell us kind of, tell me, what are they saying? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, you kind of just said it, but I think it's always important when we're having these conversations to just recognize what is maybe obvious, but that I think I can speak for all of us to say it's not like any of us are immune from struggling with our own body image, Mm -hmm. our own self-worth as it is attached to how we look, how Mm -hmm. we feel about ourselves, all of this. And that is part of sin and Mm -hmm. it's evergreen. So that piece of it, Mm -hmm. that's like, oh, I want to, I want to look good. I want to, you know, the focus on your body, whether it's, I think this looks good, or I think this looks good. I think that that focus is ever present, whether it's this generation or the Gen Z generation. So it's definitely there. I think that you're right that we've moved. We struggle to be people of balance. Balance is so hard. It is. Why is it so hard? (laughs) So I think right now it's easier to walk the extreme than it is to live a balanced life. And and God knows that. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think culturally, we are seeing this huge pendulum swing as a whole culture. Um, We're seeing people much more accepting of a lifestyle that's indulgent. And um, the body positivity movement has become something where you can't critique anyone. We've kind of talked about all those Mm -hmm. things. But I agree with you, Penny. I've had many years of struggle of my own and, and specifically end of high school through college with body and eating issues and all those kind of things. That verse, the, the last mm-hmm. one, is also so powerful. First Corinthians me. 6, 19 through yep. 20. And yep. specifically the end that says, so glorify your God and so glorify God in your body. And I think that no matter what generation we're talking about mm-hmm. or what extreme we're in, mm-hmm. whether we're on this end of the extreme of, of so thin and you know, counting every single calorie mm-hmm. and accessing, like obsessing over it and exercising everything mm-hmm. and what's coming in, what's coming out. And then we have this other side where it's like, I can do whatever I want. Don't question me. My body is beautiful no matter what it looks like, even if I'm killing myself on mm-hmm. both sides of the extreme. Yeah, literally. Um, and I think that question of like, so glorify God in your body. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? And I think the reason that we we deal with these extremes is because we obsess over um, appearances, what other people think, how we personally feel more than asking ourselves what is right. And I still struggle with this, Mm -hmm. but what does it mean to glorify God in our body? And it's definitely not starving ourselves and it's definitely not overindulging ourselves. So I think I don't want to make, especially when we're talking about young people, too many generalizations because everyone struggles differently. Well, our whole culture is swinging this way. You still have a number of girls that are struggling on, on this side of it. And I think what I would say to everyone and what I continue to ask myself often mm-hmm. is what does it mean to, to glorify God with my body? And that I, I don't know, I don't think this one says it, but, or no, it does, that mm-hmm. you are not your own. It's you were bought mm-hmm. with a price. Mm-hmm. And just remembering that and taking, mm-hmm. I think those extremes come from a hyper-focus on me, on myself, self. I, mm-hmm. and what I think, feel, want to be, am, mm-hmm. instead of whose am I, what is this mm-hmm. body for, mm-hmm. and how can I use it to to glorify the Lord in all things? You know, I, I mentioned just a minute ago how in between babies, I ran a marathon, not because I just wanted to run a marathon, because I wanted to get back in shape and it was really hard to do. And I thought this will be the thing that'll help focus me. And it did. I mean, and it was a good experience and I'm glad I did it. But I I wonder if, and I'd love for your all thought, whoever wants to comment. I think at that point, I was uh, struggling with not my husband's ideas, but society's ideas and expectations for me. So I was supposed to be a mom. I was ideally a homeschool mom. Okay. This is in the church now. All right. Now we're going to get into the church. I was supposed to be a mom. I did a really great mom, ideally a homeschool mom. I'm supposed to be, you know, as thin and 
as a supermodel. I'm supposed to be brilliant. I'm supposed to be a good earner. I'm supposed to be a great cook. I'm supposed to have a clean house. I mean, like all these things. It was just exhausting. It was exhausting. It took time for me as I matured to be able to lay those aside. And thank God the Lord gave me a caring, kind husband who was like, stop putting that on yourself. Like I'm not, he, my husband literally said to me, okay, when we talk about making dinner, it's just making dinner happen, whatever that means. Like we can take turns and, you know, that might, I'll get, I'll go by and get a, you know, a rotisserie chicken. I mean, it just needs to be healthy food. Mm -hmm. It can't be fast food all the time for your kids, which, you know, that's a thing, but it doesn't have to be home cooked and it, it can be whatever. And so like just sort of laying aside some of those idealizations that we put on ourselves. I mean, do you feel like society still, do you feel like young women still struggle with this fake oh, um, yeah. idealization? Yeah. I mean, I think social media has arguably made it even worse I agree. because mm-hmm. all that struggle that you're talking about, uh, it's now you've got this huge packaged veneer that now you have to, yeah, all the good lighting. We got good lighting, you know, we got, we got professional lighting here. Like the people don't realize that all those stars, the Kardashians have a whole team, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of lighting experts. Oh yeah. And then Photoshopping and digitally brushing. And, and so it's in that way, it's, it's, it's a fairy tale. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a lie. It's mm-hmm. a lie. Exactly. It's, it's not true. Um, yet I still want my good lighting. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being real. I do. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's where, again, where do you get the balance? Mm-hmm. So I, I think ultimately, uh, I've mentioned this book before, um, by Tim Keller, mm-hmm. counterfeit gods mm-hmm. and each chapter in this book is a false idol, a false mm-hmm. God that we worship. And the, and the thing is all the stuff, each chapter is, is something good. So, you know, there's career, there's family, there's money, there's mm-hmm. sex relationships. Um, you know, political power, things like that. So it, these are all things that can be used to help uh, glorify God and be used for godly purposes, but it's all about doing it in a godly way as opposed to doing it in an extreme way. So if you allow your image to really be your idol for yourself, mm-hmm. if you even put yourself up in this, this, you know, idealized version of yourself that you feel like you have to this mythology create, um, that's, I don't think that that's, and then healthy. people start to believe their own mythology. Yeah. And, and then that's, that's putting yourself above God. And that's, that's, you know, the, uh, the order should always be God, people, things, you know? And so if you put yourself up there, you're putting yourself up there above God, or you're putting other people's perception of you above God. And that's, that's when we know that we're out of balance and, and we got to get back. And um, in terms of just, I think uh, to Annabelle's point on, you know, the focus on identity and just, you know, obsessed with your own body, I think it, it's a, a bigger, broader. And again, I've, I've struggled with this, I've, you know, not, not saying I'm innocent at all, but um, it's, it's, it's part of our condition. But I think uh, as a society, it's sort of indicative of a broader cultural identity thing we have with our obsession, with our, whatever it is, our gender, our race, our class, mm-hmm. whatever identity box you want to be checking my weight, my body, what the more we focus inward and, and looking selfishly this way, the more divided we are as a country. Um, and I think that the, the more we, uh, you know, in the church can focus on, you know, relationship, that's really what God put us here to be. That's, that's what the Trinity is. It's relationship. Uh, and so the more you're, you're invested in healthy relationships, if you're struggling with, with these issues, either obesity or anorexia, um, and bulimia, things like that, God wants you in relationship to help you get out of that. Mm-hmm. And, and the more you're self, you know, focused, the, the more isolated you're going to be. Well, and uh, you know, then that kind of comes to mental health, right? That those, you know, these things veer downward spiral into serious mental health issues that mm-hmm. can again, threaten your life. So I would urge you to look for a Christian counselor, go to your doctor. Like if you're struggling right now and you know who you are, nobody in your family may know but you know, and so make sure you're getting to the doctor and getting the help that you actually need and don't suffer alone. Like tell your sisters, tell, tell your, your, your Christian sisters, but the church hasn't always been great on this. Has it? I mean, I, I think, Oh my goodness. Of, you know, how many times over the years, again, in the nineties, did I hear a pastor get up front and, you know, talk about, addictions and alcohol and this, that, and the other. And meanwhile, he looks like he's going to kill over with a heart attack any minute because he's so obese. 
I mean, really, let's, this before we had like the skinny jeans, like goateed <laughs> wide belt pastors with the square glasses. And we have, we have those, we have those <laughs> now. If, I'm dating a guy. if your jeans are tighter than mine as a guy, it's a problem. Not going to happen. No, I agree. I agree. But it, that should be a red flag right there. <laughs> um, but I mean, I don't think we've always gotten it right as a church. I mean, do you, do you feel like we're getting it better? Do, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, I don't really know. The, I, I guess no, just because I'm sitting here and I'm not really sure what the church's role is in it. I guess that means I don't really hear it talked about. Um, and maybe it should be. What I will say that the church is maybe doing better is that I feel like most most churches have some kind of counseling center, some kind of someone on staff. And I think that's a great place to start because again, this issue, mm-hmm. even if it has spiraled into a full on mental health issue, mm-hmm. um, as starts out as a spiritual issue sometimes. Yeah. And, and everything's a spiritual issue, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. the Lord created us, he created our minds. So if we're having a mental issue mm-hmm. while we of course respect doctors mm-hmm. and their input and the study that they put into our brains and our bodies, I think that putting these kind of issues that do have some kind of spiritual element, obviously glorify the Lord Mm -hmm. in your body. Um, You know, whatever you eat or you drink, do it all to the glory of God, bringing that Christian element in. And so I think a lot of churches are doing that. And then there's some personal responsibility Mm -hmm. to get yourself there. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And broader than that, I think there's just personal responsibility in general. I mean, we talk about our phones, um, and we're not a victim mm-hmm. to society. Like we can talk about the ill effects that our current culture is having on us. And that's real and things that shouldn't be happening. But the, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we're responsible. I'm responsible for me and you're mm-hmm. responsible for you. Yeah. Carrie's responsible for Carrie. And I think there's a lot of victim mentality mm-hmm. and a lot of sensitivity. Like don't talk about my weight. Don't, don't talk about weight at all. Don't talk about food because that's hurtful to me. And don't talk about, I mean, it just mm-hmm. is on and on and on this cycle, what we can and cannot discuss. And I think taking a little bit, actually a lot of people, girls with eating disorders, what they're struggling with is control. So here, take control back of your life. Like you are not a victim. You don't have to be sensitive to what every single person is saying. And there's responsibility to, to show up and get the help that is available. Well, I don't think that pastors are talking about it. I don't, I don't think, think they talk about are. this issue. I think you can talk about anything from the pulpit pretty much. You can talk about pornography. You can talk about like, which I, which I think desperately needs to be discussed, which I guess there's an element of that too, right? The pornification of our culture that, you know, has mm-hmm. this weird expectations for women, but airbrushed women, not real mm-hmm. women. But I don't think that, you know, I don't think they really ever I, I've never heard a sermon in which one pastor ever no, mentioned weight as an addiction one way or the other ever. And so I, you know, I, I'm just saying, I think they're from, for, we are spiritual beings and even, you know, no matter what the struggle is, there is a spiritual element to it. I'm not saying that if you just pray enough that you're going to suddenly like want to have healthy eating habits. I don't believe that at all. I think that you've got to pray and get your heart right and then start to seek help. You know, this phone sitting and scrolling through it all day, watching Netflix all day. I mean, we all did too much of that during COVID, right? And by the way, at some weird level, they were telling us to stay inside and not to, you know, yeah, I, we didn't know. Okay. Ourselves. We didn't know, but like, right. But they didn't tell us though, to, to get our weight in order, because that's something that you can do. And they're still not talking about it, which is a problem, but also it can be part of the answer. I mean, you know, I have friends who monitor their steps every day and then they'll notice, well, I haven't, you know, I need to, I need to walk more. And one of my friends met me for dinner in Alexandria and she was parked way down the way. And I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, well, I didn't get enough steps in today. So I on purpose walked, parked way down the road. And so I'd have to walk down to the restaurant to eat you so I could get my steps in today. So again, there, there is, you know, help with the very things that sometimes enslave mm-hmm. us if you get it in the right order. But to your point, nobody can do that for you. Nobody, we can all encourage each other and we can love each other. And, you know, I had a girlfriend who so struggled and frankly, it was kind of resentful for me because she's sitting run by her house every day and she said it just bugged her. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to bug you. It's just my route, but Hey, I'll come. You like to walk. You don't have to run. You like to walk. I'll come babysit your kids so you can go for a walk, you know? Mm-hmm. And so just, you know, supporting each other and being honest with each other. I mean, that probably cost her a little something just to admit that I was ir- oh, irritating her and <laughs> I wasn't doing it on purpose. 
this is just my route. That's how I, you know, and I tend to be like somebody who I like to be in my head. Yeah. I like to be in my head when I run. So I don't, I'm not thinking, I don't, I have my route. I I try to vary my route because of safety reasons, but you know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to think, I just want to like be in my head and I mean, I don't want to think about where I'm going. I want to think about work or the Lord or listen to, uh, you know, Ben Shapiro podcast or, you know, whatever. So, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's complicated. Yeah, no, I, I think that the, um, the, you know, again, recognizing that you have the control, you have the, the, the power. God gave you that agency. You know, we were born to be free. We have that freedom already. And we live in a free country, thank God, where we have all the, the tools and we have that freedom. And I think what I'm concerned about, and I mentioned this to you ladies earlier, um, just last week, NBC News did this big, long interview with an OBGYN doctor, and they said he had um, asked women, how should I design my facility? Um, and they gave some, I think, interesting, good ideas. One thing that some people had said was, um, don't weigh the women unless uh, they specifically ask because uh, it could be triggering to them. And then there's a, another doctor's office that actually gives a card to the patient that you give to the doctor if you don't want to be weighed um, because it's triggering for them at the doctor. I, oh yeah, I just, it is. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree. I it can is literally true. say I've had bad days from yeah. that, but well, but, especially OBGYN, like you have to weigh in every uh, month when you're pregnant. And I used to get cranky right before I went because I didn't want to do the weigh in. But you ha- there's you good reasons for the weigh in. Two reasons. One, especially when you're pregnant, that's that's a tip off to preeclampsia. I mean, which can be life ending. Mm-hmm. So the doctor has to stay on top of that, but in a, just a normal sitting setting, it, it, abnormal weight gain is indicative of something going on with your health and also is um, abnormal weight loss. So if your patient has lost a bunch of weight and is in, inexplicably so, then is there cancer? Like, you know, they need to know these things. So if you're just left to your own devices, yeah, sometimes I don't want to know that answer. Yeah, but the doctor well, needs to know exactly. Well, and that's that's sort of hiding the truth. And and the you know Bible says the truth will set you free. Mm-hmm. And you know I've struggled sometimes with binge eating. Like if I'm getting really upset or stressed out, like I'll binge. But you're like a stress just mindle- eater. Mindless. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm like in college, I was so terrible about it. I could eat like like a whole entire like happy big meal, you know, fries and a whole bag of Reese's peanut butter. Would you supersize with that? Oh, everything, (laughs) everything. And then like a a Sunday, like a, an entire like chocolate Sunday. And it was just, and I would go in my car and I would just do it alone. It was like my drug. Mm, That was like my, to deal with the stress that I was putting on myself. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I have a, a, you know, came from abusive family. So it was, it was my outlet to kind of release. Mm-hmm. And, and it gives you an endorphin, you know, dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. So it is a drug in that way. Um, and I think that for a lot of people, it is, uh, to Annabelle's point, it's a form of control to say, I can't control, you know, my abusive family, but I can control what's happening right now. And I can have this little dopamine hit. Um, and I think that, again, that's, it's, that was, I had, I went to like a food therapist about to say, like, I know this isn't healthy. How do I get through it? And how do I, um, think about it. And one thing she said was that, you know, you were using food as a tool, as a coping tool to get through some very traumatic, you know, I was disowned. I had PTSD and depression. And she said, food was your friend. It was your tool at that time. So you shouldn't be angry at the food mm-hmm. um, or just, you know, so we talk through it all, you know, and, and I, and the thing is, I've never been obese. I, I haven't but, it, but I was doing things that were not for the glory of God mm-hmm. in terms of what I was doing. Well, and you can get away with that when you're young like that. If you had True, kept doing that, up. it probably yeah. would have caught up with you, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I do think, um, you know, we have to acknowledge that, you know, there are uh, psychological reasons for the, our behavior control. You mentioned control, um, victims of sexual abuse, childhood mm-hmm. sexual abuse. Um, often, you know, it, it presents itself through eating disorders it, both ways. So again, it's very complicated. But so what, I mean, we've talked a little bit about, you know, therapeutic answers. We've talked about, um, you know, just sort of recognizing, giving yourself a pass. I mean, anything else that you just think is important to note or remember, you know, as women, again, coming out of, coming out of COVID, which we all gained weight during COVID and, uh, and, you know, my answer to the way I got 
rid of that weight was actually got COVID, <laughs> but that's not ideal. Not Nobody was, yeah, not <laughs> recommended that, but, um, but you know, everybody kind of came through cause your, your life changed so much, mm-hmm. but in coming out of the holidays and, you know, again, food is not our enemy. And I am very against the idea that certain foods are verboten. Like I gave you a cookie today and because, you know, food is, is not wrong and it's celebratory and God made it and God is the master chef, but getting that middle ground and learning how to walk that out. I am still struggling 50 plus years trying to kind of get there, but you know, any of the suggestions you have, like let's have them. <laughs> I mean, I think we kind of already covered it. I mean, I think really the issue is food. The issue is our body. And, and that's the issue <laughs> that the issue is food and the issue is our body and taking the focus off of that a little bit and asking what is my purpose today but I also think something I I don't know if this is helpful or not but food's really communal Mm -hmm. like we since the beginning of time I mean the Lord's Supper and the way that they ate in Bedouin tents I mean it's very communal like we eat together and um I think I think it's not it's not just utilitarian and sometimes you know mm-hmm. we kind of get in that there's all different ways you can look at food but mm-hmm. i think something for me personally that was helpful was just when you're hyper focused on something a lot of times you're withdrawing from the important things and like i think community and communal eating actually helps on both ends that's true you're showing up and you're doing the thing yeah and you're also less likely to overindulge because right that's you're not true sitting mm-hmm. on in your car Exactly. And I think the communal element of eating together and not just I sit alone in my apartment and do this, or I'm going to go in my car and do this, but coming together heals a lot of things, not only in food, but also just takes Mm -hmm. your mind off. You're talking, you're eating with people, Mm -hmm. you're having fellowship. And that might seem like a really small thing, but I think it tempers both both sides of it and maybe creates a little bit of that balance and just kind of remembering, taking less of the focus off the actual thing and Mm -hmm. more on the act as a community. Yeah, that just triggers a memory in a good way of uh, Rosario Butterfield's book, who wrote this amazing book. And she was a tenure professor, I think at Syracuse, and she was head of LGBTQ studies. And then, um, and she was a lesbian. And then she um, ended up becoming a Christian sort of long story, great book, I would urge you to read it. Um, and uh, ended up married to a Presbyterian minister, interestingly enough, and does a lot of college outreach. But uh, one of the things she said about the community, LGBTQ community, is that any given day, evening, you know, within that community, somebody has a pot of spaghetti on or a pot of chili, and they just have their doors open. There's just hospitality there and um, community and welcoming. And she said, you know, the church used to be more like that. And it's not, it's not now. And I, you know, I agree. I don't know how to get back there, but it's to your point when you're in community, whether, whether, or even your family, making sure you're having those family times where everybody's coming and going and you're sitting at the table and you're Check locking out. eyes and you're and not just for food but there mm-hmm. I read a study that said that families that had dinner together I don't remember how many times a week the kids were much less likely to be engaged in drug illegal drug use mm-hmm. because you've got that check-in right you're seeing what's going on you're checking in with each other uh, that probably is benefits in a whole bunch of different ways mm-hmm. but even community of like you know when I was um you know when I was single in fact, one of the things that my husband and I did together early on before we were dating is we used to, we used to run together, we'd exercise together. And so, uh, and I think people do make friends at gyms, but you know, people that within your church, let's go walking. It doesn't have to be anything hard. It could just be a walk around the block. Um, yeah. To have that accountability. No, I, I love that the community. Um, I think another thing that I found for me was also consistency. Um, so, and, you know, we're talking about mental illness. So when I was in my late twenties, uh, I was 29, actually, I broke off my engagement. I was engaged, wasn't the right guy, good guy, just not good match. And I was devastated because I was like, I'm going to turn 30 and I'm not married. And like, ah, (laughs) existential crisis. And I fell into depression and I actually created this thing for myself. I called it my master's degree of happiness. And what it was, was uh, a Google doc an Excel file. I love, I used to work in finance. I love mm-hmm. Excel files, but it, it can be very simple. Um, and I just had, uh, you know, a, a column for the dimensions of my body, my mind, my spirit in an act of service for someone else. Mm. And I did it for a whole year. 
And every day, and some days I would just mess up. And some days I would just say, you know what? I binge ate, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I, I just wrote that down and I was, but I was accountable to myself and I took notes. It was, it became sort of, it wasn't just food. It was also about exercise or, you know, I had green tea today, which is like antioxidants and healthy, you know, or, you know, I went and, you know, tried this new type of exercise or whatever it was. I did something for my body every day and then something to feed my spirit every day. And then something, uh, you know, for my mind, I, you know, was doing different projects, then active service for someone else. And by the end, I, I was so much happier. And I, I was like, wow, it actually worked. I did get my master's degree in happiness. <laughs> but just having that, I've, I've, heard, I've heard the phrase when I told some people about what I was doing, that the phrase is called quantified self, mm-hmm. which is what you're talking about, mm-hmm. about monitoring your steps and mm-hmm. things like that. Again, not swinging into the obsession with it mm-hmm. and letting it control you. But I think the consistency and the tools that you get from mm-hmm. technology, it certainly blessed my life. Um, to be able to see that every day because it was all, it was always right there and really easy to, to search. Also it ended up being just helpful because I was like, well, who did I meet then? And, you know, just, mm-hmm. it's a good reference, mm-hmm. um, but it was something and just a daily check-in. Well, I love that. That's a little bit overachiever way to do it. But <laughs> like even just a journal, right? Just yeah. to note again, not the journal. And I did this where you wrote down every single thing you ate every day and everything. And I had a bite of this and I had three chocolate chips. I mean, it's, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah, I wasn't that detailed. Though. That's crazy. No, just in general, like, yeah. no. And the other thing is that I was thinking while you're saying that is if you're doing acts of service for someone else, you're not thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about how much I ate or didn't eat or yes. whatever. You're thinking about like, oh, you know, man, this person's life's really complicated. How can I help them? Yeah. How can I be, how can I be a Christian witness to them? Exactly. That's yeah. beautiful. Well, all right. This is complicated. We didn't get to the end of this, but I think we did acknowledge something that is real and legitimate and it is a struggle and it's a struggle on so many different levels. And at the end of the day, God loves you. Jesus died for you. We are all so human. We are all so imperfect. And I think every bit of health, mental, physical, all of it starts at the foot of the cross. Just, you know, being there. And if you don't know what that means, and you really want to talk to someone at CWA, we can't be your counselors on your, you know, mental health issues, we can connect you with somebody else, but we certainly can share the gospel with you and pray with you. And we're happy to do that. So feel free to reach out you can come to concernwomen.org. And if you have a comment and also please share this with other people, I think this podcast is, um, could be a great opportunity and a way to just kind of start a conversation with someone, a, a family member, you know, perhaps about one of those hard conversations. So, Anyway, thank you for joining us at Concerned Women Today, Carrie Sheffield, Annabelle Rutledge. And um, earlier today, we had uh, Shyla Valentine, Dr. Shyla Valentine. So um, God bless you and, and go forward and do great things for the Lord. Thanks for listening. Concerned Women Today is a ministry of Concerned Women for America, bringing you biblical perspective to today's most pressing issues. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. We pray this episode has been a blessing to you. For more information, visit ConcernedWomen.org. That's ConcernedWomen.org.